How's everybody doing? Again, we've had good. We've had a few more trickle in. That's good. Like I said, uh, got quite a few out of town. Quite a few fighting sickness. Um, today, as we begin, we I just want us to pray for some families. Um, Chris, uh, Chris's father passed away this this past week on Tuesday. I think it was. We just want to lift you up. We just want to pray over you and. Those of you that know Chris, especially you ladies that are in groups with her, I just want to encourage you when the service is over, just to get around her and just surround her and just have a prayer time over her, if you would. Um, and then the second thing we need to pray for is the uh, Tony Adams. Uh, from We've been praying for him uh, at Jefferson at our main campus, and uh, he passed away on Friday. And so um, uh, pancreatic cancer. So we want to lift him up, we want to pray for him. Just really want to encourage that family as well. And then I'd appreciate um, prayers for Lucy and I. Lucy left Wednesday. She's already up in Indiana at her mom's. Her mom's uh, not doing well. Uh, she's in assisted living up there. Uh, so Lucy's up just spending some time with her. I leave this afternoon to fly to Indiana. Uh, and then we're going to spend some time with my parents because my parents aren't doing well. My mom's um, has dementia, and the, over the last few months, it's gradually increased, not gradually, actually rapidly, has been increasing. And so um, my sister, older sister, lives right behind my mom and dad, so she carries the brunt of this. And so I just need to get up and kind of relieve her and spend time with mom and dad. So I'll be gone a few days this week just... Um, as people say, doing elder care, I guess, just taking care of helping with her families. And so I'd appreciate your prayers for that as well. And then we want to pray for Bethany. Bethany has surgery this week on Wednesday. Is that right, Bethany? And it's for your temporary, whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Spinal cord stimulator, yeah. So it'll be a temporary one that she'll wear for a while that will tell her about whether the, the, they can do the permanent one. So I want to pray for Bethany, but um, you need to continue to pray because she's not really able to do much, are you, after this? So having two very active little boys is going to be tough. So those of you that can chip in and help with her, uh, just you let her know whatever she needs. We just want to be there for her and lift her up. This week has kind of been like last week in the sense of um, God's kind of taken me on a journey. Um, again, this is a, a series I did up at the church in Northern Virginia at the Journey uh, when I was there. Just actually, in I think 2017 we did this. And, um, and in spite of that, these first two weeks... God has taken me in a totally different direction. Not necessarily in a totally different direction, but fairly close where that um, I just kind of sat down and rewrote a lot of what I already had done simply because I felt that's what God was calling me to do. And so it's been one of those journeys this week. Um, and so yesterday was a very long day. I think I finally got home, which was good that Lucy was gone because I... I was uh, up here most of the day, and I got home about 8.30 last night because I, I wanted to kind of finalize things. But then when I got home, I kind of went through it again and ended up changing 
one little section of it again, even last night, because I felt, no, that God, this is what you want me to do. This is what you need me to do. And so, so today is a compilation of uh, a lot of things that have happened in my life, as well as probably your life as well. But um, I think it will help us to, to continue in this series that we're on called Hope for the Broken. And I'm really excited about what we've been dealing with, because it was interesting, last week I had... Oh, so many people go out and say, man, I just needed that so much, but I didn't like hearing it. It was one of those, you know, it's, it's what we need, but we don't always necessarily like to hear it, but we need to hear it. Today may be one of those as well, I don't know. It was for me. So let's kind of get started. Now, I don't know if, about you, but I don't know if you've noticed that my mind doesn't always mind. You ever had that problem? Raise your hand, or am I the only one? That your mind, come on. How many, where your mind doesn't always mind? Okay, come on, let's be honest here, right? Okay, how many of you lie? That, maybe we can raise your hand on that one. So, in fact, a lot of times my mind does what it wants to do, or it's somewhere off on its own little journey, somewhere out there, you know, and we don't know where it's at. Now, the Apostle Paul kind of deals with this in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15 because this is what he basically says in this verse. He basically says, I don't understand myself. Ever been there? He says, I want to do what is right, but I do not do it. Have you been there? Anybody? Right. In fact, he said, instead, I do the very thing I hate. All the things that I want to do, I end up not doing. And all the things that I don't want to do, that I know are wrong, I end up doing. Ever been there? Come on, let's be honest. Yeah, probably all of us. That's, that's kind of where we find ourselves in lives. The things we want to do, we don't do. Things we don't want to do, that's the things we end up doing. Here's the thing. I believe that one of the reasons why so many Christians are struggling with guilt and stress and anger, and the list literally can go on and on, is because we haven't learned how to get our minds to mind. We haven't learned how to get our minds to mind. So what do we do? Well, there's a great verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we're going to use today as just a foundational verse. Um, And my prayer is that from this, as we begin to unpack it a little later, we can begin to see some things that's going to help us to change our thinking. This is what Paul says. In Romans 12, verse 3, he says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. The NIV puts it this way. By renewing your mind. All of us need a renewal of our minds. Now let me sum up what I want to say today in one sentence. And no, after I say it, we're not stopping, okay? But I am summing up kind of what I want to say in one sentence, and it's this. God is far more interested in changing the way you think about your circumstances than he is in changing your circumstances. You get that? God is far more interested in changing the way you think about your circumstances than he is in changing your circumstances. Why? Because he knows that your circumstances will never change until your mind is renewed, until you're transformed, until you begin to change the way you think. But here's the problem. 
We would rather change our circumstances than change our minds. We would rather have God deal with the problems and the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the sickness and the sadness and the list can go on and on. We would rather him deal with those things rather than really change our mind or change the way we think. And God says, time out. (laughs) It's not going to happen that way. He says, I know that these things are important and I know they're important to you, but what's really important is what's happening inside of you. He says, I'm far more interested in changing the way you think than your circumstances. And so as we begin, let me give you a couple reasons why it's important that we learn to change the way we think. The first is this, because our thoughts control our life. Our thoughts control our life. Every single action always begins as a thought. If you think it, you'll probably do it. Here are three principles that I believe that are true about our thought life. The first is this. Our thoughts have the power to shape our present and future for good as well as for bad. In the today's English version, Proverbs 4.23 says this. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. So because of that, let me give you something that we kind of need to hang on to and take to heart, and it's this. Don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. Here's why I say that. We naturally feel that if we think something, then it must be true because it's coming from within us, right? But just because you think something doesn't make it true. In fact, there may be some of you who have struggled for years accepting the fact that you have value and that you have worth because growing up, somebody said to you that you're worthless or that you're no good or that you don't matter or that you won't amount to anything or you're ugly or you're fat or you're uncoordinated or whatever. And they planted that seed within your mind and it became truth to you. And because you believed it as truth, it shaped who you are. And so you've lived in a state of brokenness because you chose to believe a lie. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Which is why I think Maybe the words of Jeremiah 17, 9 are so important to understand. Look what it says. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You see, the heart is the foundation of our thoughts, our passions, our desires, our appetites, our affections, our purposes, and our endeavors. It's the door of our thoughts. It's where our values and our standards are stored that control what we think. And so we've got to be careful because our thoughts have the power to shape us, both in the present as well as in the future. But the second reason is this, because our thoughts are a battlefield. They are a battlefield that decides whether good or evil prevails in our lives. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. And the third thing is this. It's because our thoughts will keep us focusing on our brokenness or put us 
on a path of healing. Our thoughts will either keep us focusing on our brokenness or they will put us on a path of healing. You see, we have an amazing ability, again, to lie to ourselves. We do it all the time. We tell ourselves that things aren't so bad, as bad as they really are, or that things are better than they really are. We tell ourselves that we're doing okay when we're not really doing okay. We tell ourselves that sin is not a big deal when it is a big deal. In fact, the Bible tells us that we can't be, that we can't be trusted to tell ourselves the truth. That's why we can't believe everything we think. Just because you get a thought doesn't mean it's correct. Here's the thing. All sin begins as a lie. All sin begins as a lie. The Bible says, in fact, that Satan is what? He's the father of lies. If he can get you to believe the lies about you, he can get you to sin and to stay broken. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 simply says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And what? The truth's not in us. The truth's not in us. Never forget, we are the doorkeepers of our heart. And every thought that stays in will either set us free or keep us broken and keep us in bondage. And the choice of which one has control really is up to us. It's up to us to make that choice. But the second thing about our thoughts is this. It's because the mind is the battleground for sin. The mind is the battleground for sin. Whether you realize it or not, there's a battle going on in your life 24-7. And it's the battle for the mind. It's intense, unrelenting, and it's unfair because Satan never plays fair. And he never fights fair. And the reason why it is so intense is because your greatest asset is your mind. Let me tell you, over the last 40 years of ministry, I've watched people struggle because they were not able to hear God because their minds were somewhere else at that moment. And they couldn't connect even if they wanted to connect. As we've said, whatever gets your mind gets you. That's why one of the most important things we can do is to learn how to protect, is to learn how to strengthen and how to renew our minds because the battle for sin is won and lost on this battlefield. In that passage in Romans 7 that I mentioned at the very beginning, Paul goes on to explain this battle for the mind. He says this in verses 22 through 23. Look what it says. He says, I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul puts it this way there. Look what he says. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it what? Obedient to Christ. 
So as we think about this passage, there are three things that are immediately evident. One is that we cannot and we must not ignore these problems, these battles. In other words, Paul says, we live in the world. I mean, this is where we live. You can't ignore that fact. We can't run away. We can't hide from the battles. We can't seek shelter, crawl into a bunker where we just kind of live out the rest of our uh, lives and our years without encountering the difficulties around us or fighting the battles for our mind. Why? Because we live in the world, Paul says. And we must not ignore that reality. We've got to understand it, grab a hold of it, so we can overcome it. The second thing is this, we have to understand that we can't fight this battle like the world does. In other words, we don't fight with worldly armor and guns. We don't fight with politics and wealth. We don't fight with all the humanistic philosophies of the day. We fight in another dimension. In fact, in this verse, in these verses, Paul used this phrase. He said, we fight with divine power. Now, last night, as I was kind of going through this, oh, in the background on the TV, I was watching um, uh, American Ninja Warrior. Anybody watch that? It's a great show. I <laughs> love to watch it. Uh, never could do it, but I, uh, it's cool to watch. But it was kind of on in the background when I was kind of thinking about this. And so it made me, made me stop and think a minute. You know, Here's the thing, no matter how gifted and skilled those ninja warriors are that conquer all those obstacles, they still don't have enough power. You know that you could go to the gym 24-7, 365 days out of the year, and you could work out and train, and you could get muscles upon muscles, and it wouldn't matter how strong you became, you could never have the power to overcome. You could have all the powers of the Avengers rolled into you so that you were one big Avenger. And guess what? You still couldn't overcome on your own. Why? Because Paul says it takes divine power. It takes divine power. It takes the power that only comes through Jesus Christ in our life and in our hearts. And because of that, our fighting is not weak. Our fighting is powerful. And our fighting wins, our fighting succeeds, and it is mighty because it is fought in the very power of God. Now Paul put it this way in Ephesians, finally be strong in the Lord and in his great power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can fight against the devil's evil tricks. Our fight is not against people on earth, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this world's darkness, against the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly world. You see, we've got to fight with a different power. It's the power of God that lives within us. And he gives us the power to overcome. It's a divine power. But the third thing he talks about in these verses is this. He says our job through that power, through that divine power, and through God's armor, is to tear down and to demolish the strategies of our enemy. The strategies of Satan. Now, one of the main rules of battle is to know your enemy. You can never be successful as a soldier if you don't know the strategies of the enemy. 
This is true in the military, and it's also true in our spiritual warfare that we fight as well. A.W. Tozer once said, The vast majority of Christians believe that the world is a playground instead of a battleground. That's why it's not surprising that so many Christians are losing so many spiritual battles. They just think it's a playground. So what are the strategies of the enemy that Paul says that we need to demolish? Well, the first thing he mentions in those verses in 2 Corinthians is this. It's strongholds. Strongholds. Now, the Greek word for stronghold means a fortress or a castle. It's like having home field advantage in a football game. It's a place where Satan can have a free reign in my life. It's an area that he has gained control over because of some point in my past, I have surrendered that part of my life to him. And he has set up a stronghold, a fortress, a castle in my life, and he's fighting with a home-filled advantage because I gave up control at some point in my life and he took over. Martin Luther wrote, The devil throws hideous thoughts into the soul. Hatred of God, blasphemy, and despair. He goes on to say, "When When I awake at night, the devil tarries not to seek me out. He disputes with me and makes me give birth to all kinds of strange thoughts. The devil understands how to produce arguments that exasperate me. Sometimes he has produced such as to make me doubt whether or not there is a God. Now, strongholds can be a worldview like materialism, hedonism, secularism, relativism, atheism, and all the other different isms. They can be a personal attitude like, I'm never going to forgive that person, or I can never forgive myself. It could be, I will never amount to anything. A stronghold could be seeking the approval of other people over the approval of God. Or believing the lies of the enemy such as God really doesn't care or love me. Or a stronghold can be a multitude of things such as fear and resentment and bitterness and apathy and unbelief, anxiety, envy, depression, lust, pride, greed, drugs, alcohol, pornography, immorality, and the list can go on and on and on. And each of these, if we allow them to, Satan can come in and build a stronghold hold in our life, a fortress, a castle, because we've given up control over to him in that particular area of our life. I actually heard a pastor talk about a guy in his church this week, a young couple. She has a, a tumor, I think it was, on a pituitary gland that uh, keeps her sex drive down. And because of that, her husband has justified the fact that it's okay for him to look at pornography. That's a stronghold that Satan has come in and established in his life, and it will take him out if he doesn't overcome it. But the second thing is not just strongholds, but he goes on and he mentions arguments and pretension. Arguments refer to reasonings. And pretension refers to every proud obstacle or every high thing which exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And what does Paul tell us to do? He says we are to take those things captive. Take them captive. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. The word captive just means to control, to conquer, or to bring in submission. 
Paul says that we are to take these strategies of the enemy and we are to take them captive so that they will submit to and come under the authority of Jesus Christ. Never forget, this is important. Satan won't just leave you alone because you become a Christian. In fact, you have a lot bigger bullseye on you once you do. He will attack you from the strongholds that were already built up in your life and the ones you continue to allow him to build up in your mind. You see, Satan wants to continually penetrate your thoughts with his thoughts to reinforce the lies he wants you to believe so that the truth of God's word will get distorted. Satan knows that if he can control your thoughts, he can control your life. I was at a church planning retreat this past week up in Virginia at a conference center. And it was so good to to be around other guys, but the interesting thing about me being my age is most church planters um, that were there are young guys in their 30s. You know, they're just starting out. They just, they, they're planting these churches. They're doing awesome jobs. I'm on a management team of one up in Maryland that's just killing it. They're just doing such a good job. But one of the things we talked about, and one of the benefits, I think, is of having somebody like me, and there were two or three other guys around my age that were there, is that we've, not only have we come through a lot of those things, but now we're on this side of it, being able to look back and be able to see the things that we struggled with that maybe can help them. And so as we were going around the room just talking about those times when we were broken and we, we felt hurt and we didn't know what to do next, a lot of things came up in my life. And I shared with them the fact that over the years, January starts 40 years of full-time ministry for me. And over these last almost 40 years, I can't tell you the number of times where I've sat at my mom and dad's on the patio. And what was going through my head was this. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. If this is the way Christians act, it's not worth it. And as I thought, the things that kept going through my mind was just hang it up. Go to work with your dad, take over the business when he's done and retires, and just get out of it. I wish I could tell you that only happened once, but I can't because it happened multiple times over the years. But then as I would sit there, the other thing that kept coming into my head was this, you can't do it because this is what I've called you to. And that's the thing that's gotten me through is the fact that I know I've been called to this. This is my calling in, in life is, is the ministry and this is what I've been called to no matter how tough it gets, no matter how ugly people are, no matter how insensitive other Christians can be. This is what God has for me in my life and I've just got to get through it. And I have. And I've been able to look back on life and I've been able to see that how each and every situation 
that happened. God not only brought us through, but when we came out on the other side, the ministry he put me into next was the very thing that was going to be able to, I was going to be able to help them with because of what I went through here. God's always working upstream. I say that for this because just because you're a Christian, the bull not, doesn't mean Satan's going to leave you alone. The bullseye's bigger. He's going to attack you. He's going to work in your life. He's going to try to build those strongholds. He's going to try to get into your thoughts. He's going to try to get into your head. And if he does, you will be sitting on a patio somewhere thinking it's not worth it. I just need to give it up and do what I want to do. And don't do it. Don't let Satan win that battle. As Paul says, demolish the stronghold and tear it down. So for the next few moments, let me, let me just go back to that foundational verse that we started with that's found in Romans chapter 2, verse 12. Because I think as we break it down, we can begin to see what we need to do to change the way we think, to change our minds. This is what Paul said again. Don't copy or conform to the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, the word transform in the Greek is the word metamorphosis. And it means to change the essential nature of something. It's, the cha- it's change at the very core of who we are. It's the picture, and we've talked about this before, of a caterpillar that goes into a cocoon and comes out a butterfly. It's been transformed. A metamorphosis has taken place in its life. And there's a transformation that has taken place. Paul says that's what you need to do, is you need to be transformed to change from the, your uh, initial and essential nature that's within you. It's got to change if it's going to affect your mind and renew your mind. So he says, don't conform. Don't be like the world. And that word conform is kind of that word that it's, it's like that chameleon that can take its color from whatever surrounding it's in. And so... It just fits in everywhere. That's the picture of conformity. We just kind of fit in where we're at. So when we're at church, we can conform. We can fit in right, right at church with all the other people. We can go to a party and fit in right there. We can go to the bar and fit right in there. We can go here and here and here and fit right in there. Why? Because we conform rather than allowing God to transform us from the inside out. Warren Wiersbe wrote, if the world controls your mind, you are a conformer. If God controls your mind, you are transformed. Understand the transformation process can only happen as we allow God to change the way we think. So how do we do that? Well, let me give you a few things before we close. We need to close in just a few moments. Okay. I'll go through these as quickly as I can. First thing is this. If we really want to change the way we think, first thing is this. It begins by daily surrendering your life to Jesus. Daily surrendering your life to Jesus. Back in verse 1 of chapter 12 in in the book of Romans, Paul started out by saying this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. We've got to surrender to God on a daily basis. We wake up, just say, God, here I am. I'm going to lay myself on the altar and spiritually die 
to, to what I want, my desires, and I just want to live for you. I just surrender my life to you. Somebody once said that this verse paraphrase would sound like this. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and your walking around life, and daily place it before God as an offering. That's what we do. We just take our life, surrender it, and give it to him as an offering. And when we do, he'll begin to transform us. He'll begin to change our mind. We begin to change the way we think. Because now we begin to think of the things that he has for us. The second thing is this. We have to put ourselves in the right place to be transformed. We've got to put ourselves in the right place to be transformed. All throughout the Bible, those who were the closest to God had places where they could go, where they could get away to, that put themselves in a place where God would move in their lives. And God would begin to change them. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Look what it says. Our faces then are not covered. We all show the Lord's glory. And we are being changed to be like him. This change in us brings ever greater glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now in this verse, Paul is taking us back to the days when Moses would go up on Mount Sinai, where God would begin the transformation process in his life. And each time he met with God, he would be changed, he would be transformed, and he would glow from being in the very presence of God. But when Moses came off the mountain, he would wear a veil over his face to cover the fading glory of God. Because once he left the presence of God, the glory would begin to fade with each step he took. And so Paul says, we don't have to wear a veil. Why? Because the Lord's glory is not supposed to fade. It's not supposed to fade. In fact, it's supposed to increase as God transforms us more and more into the image of Jesus. Why? Because we never leave the presence of God. The presence of God is right in here. And if you walk away from the presence, then that glory is going to fade fast. But we never leave his presence. Because his presence lives inside of us. It's here. I told you this a long time ago, but um, when Lucy and I were first dating, I had a, um, it was this 1978 uh, Monte Carlo that I'd bought. I bought it new, brand new. I'd worked, I was going to college and I'd worked and I had the money, bought it. It was like $4,500 brand new. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, $4,500 brand new, bought this new car. It had a bench seat. You know how it is when you're dating and you got a bench seat? Where does your girlfriend sit? Right next to you, right? And so when you're driving behind somebody like that, it looks like one body with two heads. I mean, I, I mean that's what you see. You know, so that's how it was that through our dating life. Then all of a sudden, after we got married, what happens? Gradually, she moves over to her side. Now, of course, we did get a car with bucket seats, so that makes it a little more difficult, but... She moved over to her side. Now let me ask you, who moved? Who moved? I didn't move. I'm still in the driver's seat, right? She moved. Here's the principle. Here's the the point. And it's this. Don't blame God if you're not close to him because he hasn't moved. You've moved. 
You need to understand that his presence is always going to be in your life. It is there when you surrender on a daily basis. So here's what you need to do. You need to find your place where you can go and connect with God one-on-one so that he can begin the transformation process. Jesus would go up on the mountain. Jesus would get away and he would pray. Where do you go? Where's your place? And here's what I want you to do. When you find that place, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do what David did, and that is this. Ask God to search and to test your thought life. This is what David wrote in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Let me tell you, asking God to search and to test your thoughts shows God that you are ready to be transformed. It tells him that you're ready to be transformed. So let me ask you, do you have a place where you can go? Where it's just you and God, do you have that place? That place where he can begin to continually search you and test you so that the transformation process can take place so that your mind is renewed. And then next, you need to... uh, When you find your place, you need to begin to adjust what you focus on. When you find your place, adjust what you focus on. Let me give you just a few things and we're going to close. Let me check this. don't want to keep you too long. I've just got a couple minutes. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to focus on these things. First of all, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Those saying is still true. You become what you think about the most. So think about Jesus. Focus on him. If you want to become more like the world, continue to focus your thoughts on the world. But if you want to become more like Christ, then you focus on him. 2 Timothy 2.8 says, keep your mind on Jesus Christ. And so when you find your place, you spend time focusing on Jesus. Second of all, you focus on prayer. You focus on prayer. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, why? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then, get this, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace, look at this, it will guard your hearts and minds. It'll guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You focus on prayer and then you focus on the right things. In other words, he goes on in that same passage in verse 8 and says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And so we we focus on prayer and we focus on the right things. But then we focus on the Word of God. We focus on the Word of God. You remember the old phrase from the early computer days, G-I-G-O? Stands for garbage in, garbage out. Let me tell you, it is still true of your life and my life today. Your life is a byproduct of what you feed your mind. Proverbs 15, 14 says, a wise person is hungry for truth while the food fool feeds on trash. The psalmist writes in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, happy are those who, 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 who don't listen to the wicked, who don't go where sinners go, who don't do what evil people do. They love the Lord's teachings, and they think about those teachings day and night. 
Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, God's word is alive and working and is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones and it judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts. So when you find that place, you focus on the word of God. You focus on his word. You let it feed you instead of sitting in front of the tube or the computer and letting it feed you. And then you focus on eternity. Focus on eternity. I believe that this may be or may, may make some of the biggest difference when you feel like life is beating you down. Just to be able to get your mind off of your circumstances and your brokenness and to remember that there's more to life than, life than just what you see in the here and now. God has prepared a place for us. I love the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Look at what he says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The reality of our Christian life is this. When you begin to focus on what God has in store for us, we will begin to see that all of our problems and our fears and our frustrations don't compare to the glory and the joy and the pleasure and the excitement and the healing that we can look forward to in heaven when we spend it with God forever. Pray with me if you would. Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for this morning. God, it's awesome to be able to just to be in your house. It's awesome to come before you. And I don't know what people may be struggling with right now and struggling within their life, but I pray, Father, that you will just speak to their hearts today. Help us to understand we've got to change the way we think. We've got to change and renew our minds and allow you to do that so that we can begin to think on the right things where we stop believing the lies of the enemy. God, I thank you for all you do. Just be with our hearts today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.